Hello, this is Angela Schaefers, the host of Your Story Matters radio show. Today, I have author and speaker, Tammy Bamer, and she is here to talk about her journey with dealing with cancer and her story, and she will also share about her book, From Incurable to Incredible, Cancer Survivors Who Beat the Odds. Hi, Tammy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Angela. It's good to have you here, and I really enjoyed reading your book. There were so many amazing, inspiring, and encouraging stories in there about different people who have faced cancer and how they dealt with it and the things they learned on their journey. But before we talk about the book, I would love for you to share with our listeners some of your background, what you've done in the past, some of your history, if you will, that kind of led up to the point when you were diagnosed. Okay. Well, I have um, worked more than 20 years in uh, public relations in the healthcare industry. So I've worked at hospitals and retirement homes, and and I um, so I was already exposed to a lot of this. And then in uh, 2002, um, when I was uh, just shy of my 39th birthday, I was diagnosed with with breast cancer. It was you know kind of early stage, stage two. Told my Prognosis was excellent. At the time, you know, I'm married and I had my daughter was three. Mm-hmm. So, I, of course, you know, that was my main priority is to be around mm-hmm. as long as I could. But I kind of, you know, I, I kind of went back to life as normal after I had real heavy duty chemotherapy. I went back to me and radiation. Mm-hmm. And um, after five years passed, I thought that I was home free, um, because often they'll tell you five-year mark, is, it's much less of a chance of it returning. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I had um, noticed a lump under, in my armpit that would come and go, and um, I would it, I would call my breast surgeon about it, and she would say, well, it's probably hormonal, and I was just really relieved and didn't think to question it. Mm-hmm. Um and so, but it kept coming back, and I started to get really like shooting pains in my arm that were excruciating. And I finally got a, an appointment a little about a month earlier than my my normal visit, and um, and it was confirmed that it was a solid tumor. And then um, I remember I was working at, at a hospital at the time, and I would just go downstairs for my scans. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I picked up my PET scan and I uh, looked at it. I was all alone in the office, and, and then I looked at it, and it said it had spread to my uh, uh, some lymph nodes in my chest, and then the, the most shocking news was that it was in my liver. Mm, and, that's uh, awful. Before you yeah. go on with that part of your story, can you go back a bit? Mm-hmm. You said you had worked in um, the hospital environment with these types of situations, so you were working mm-hmm. with cancer patients or just different patients with different issues? Um, it was all types of uh, patients. Uh, I, I was in public relations, so my job was to try to shed a positive light on, on the hospital. and show. I always enjoyed sharing six stories. And when I was at the retirement community, I really, I really enjoyed that, listening to stories about of people who had just these amazing lives and, you know, were doing really well in, in older age. So mm-hmm. I've always been attracted to that, you know, sharing stories of other people and trying to inspire. And I've always been really um, 
I was the one who always wanted to do the United Way campaigns and to do something to help people. So that was always an interest of mine. Mm -hmm. What did you do as far as um, people who didn't survive or the stories that weren't the ones that ended well? How, what did you, how did you handle that? What did you think about those stories in the midst of being in um, the hospital setting? Well, actually, um, you know, those are ones, of course, we never, we, I was you know, kind of shielded by that. I would, you know, be brought in when there was a positive story. But I was also, in, once I was diagnosed, I joined a, a support group called the Pink Ribbon Girls, which is for young breast cancer survivors. Mm-hmm. And I came in contact with uh, many women. Um, I, I was on the board, and we were there was funerals all the time. You know, I noticed that a lot of young women with breast cancer were dying, and and so like when I had my stage four diagnosis, I would think of the first thing I thought about was all those people that had died at such a you know quickly from a mm-hmm. stage four diagnosis, mm-hmm. and it was very frightening. And before yeah, so, that, though, before you were diagnosed, what were your thoughts? I mean, did you think that, you know, obviously that was sad and we don't like to see those things happen and we wish there were some cure for things like this. Um, but did you have that mindset that this isn't something that would ever happen to you? Or did you consider the fact that, okay, maybe I should be concerned because here I am in a hospital setting and people do die and things do go wrong and and there's not always the positive outcome? I think, you know, being a younger person, you never really think it's going to happen to you, or at least not for a while. And I was always health conscious to a certain extent. I would, uh, you know, eat. I, I knew I had high cholesterol, and I'd watch that. And, you know, being in a hospital setting makes you more aware of things like that. When you did find out initially, was that during a routine checkup, or was there something that raised a red flag for you in the first place and made you go in to get a mammogram? Because, as you know, there's still as much education and awareness there is out there. There are a great deal of women who don't get a mammogram early enough. Yeah. Well, I had a baseline at 35, which is what they recommended, and that was okay. But And once in a while, I would do a self-breast exam, but I wouldn't do it like, I wouldn't do it very frequently. And I, a boss, my boss at the time, I was working at the retirement home, had a friend who was diagnosed, a neighbor that was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I thought, well, I should check myself. And I did. And uh, you know, I did a self-breast exam and I felt the lump. Mm-hmm. That was the initial lump, yes. And when you were diagnosed, whether it was the first time or the second time with the recurrence, did you think about the possibility of death? And if you did, how did that affect you and change who you were as far as who you had been all these other years and now you are facing this other situation? Oh, it changed everything. Uh, when you hear that diagnosis, that's the first thing I thought of was, oh, my God, am I going to die from this? Uh, my daughter was uh, eight at the time or eight or nine, and and my first thing I said to my breast surgeon is, I, I have to be here for her. I was crying. I was mm-hmm. like, I have to be here for her. So in your, to my sense of mortality was, you know, it was definitely there, and and it was very frightening and devastating. Did you begin to live differently? Well, yes, in fact. Well, I, I think um, what I immediately stopped doing is we had had speakers at our support group that were holistic in nature. They and they would um, talk about how sugar feeds cancer cells and how you shouldn't have sugar 
And uh, if you're if you've had cancer, and I remember thinking, well, I can never give up sugar. Mm-hmm. And I think I tried to eat a lot of Splenda. I did a lot of stuff with Splenda back when I, I think they thought it was okay. And but that was, but I really, you know, I thought, well, I eat healthy and I do everything. So I, I didn't really change that much the first time around. But the second time around, you know, I had had bought this book previously called uh, Beating Cancer with Nutrition, and I got that out again. Mm-hmm. And I was, I so I started reading it, and I was like, I'm not going to eat sugar. And any time, you know, I was a big sugar addict, and every time I would see something, I would uh, say, well, sugar feeds cancer cells, and would kind of curb that. Uh, that urge. And I remember the last piece of real sugary dessert I had was my husband's 50th birthday, which was right after, right after I got diagnosed. I had planned this big party and uh, that was it. And, um, and then I just started uh, doing all these things, anti-cancer food. I started to look at food more as medicine. Mm-hmm. And and I really jumped into my spirituality more, got more involved in my um, spiritual center where I attend, and I got a prayer and meditation, visualization, exercise. I quit my stressful job mm-hmm. and decided to just go on disability and really focus on taking care of myself as my job. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. was my main priority. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And what do you think changed as far as how you looked at life in general? I mean, were you in fear all the time of death or were you just trying to live a better life as long as possible or both? Well, I um, actually came to a turning point. And I do remember I went to MD Anderson for a second opinion and an oncologist there told me I was going to die in two to 20 years. Mm-hmm. She said, you will die of breast cancer. And that actually pissed me off. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, who is she? You know, how does she know? Mm-hmm. She doesn't even know me. And I also had a couple of seeds planted. Um, I read, um, both times I was diagnosed, Bernie Siegel's uh, book, Above Medicine and Miracles. And he talks about how imaging it is for doctors to give death sentences and how that could actually weigh an outcome that a person will follow the doctor's orders. They'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I got really angry at this doctor for saying that to me. Mm-hmm. And it almost became quite, almost a dare mm-hmm. that I was going to prove her wrong and prove any other doctor that said that. Mm-hmm. And so so I started in that mindset and, you know, that I don't have to die from this. Mm-hmm. And then I, and I started, I, there was somebody from my church who I spoke with the day I was diagnosed who is in my book, uh, Buzz, his name's Buzz, and he, I had found out that he was told he had three to six months to live like five years previously, and mm-hmm. he, was, he would never be able to tell. So I had all this little, little seed planted that, you know, this, there are people that survive stage four cancer, and I don't have to listen to this or accept this as my destiny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Based on your history, because we, of course, don't know about your childhood or how you were or what you acted like or thought back then, do you think that that's something that you've carried with you is some sort of sense of perseverance and overcoming mm-hmm. challenges and obstacles? Has that kind of been your history? Oh, absolutely. My family of origin was very uh, traumatic. I suffered physical abuse and there was drug addiction, prescription drug addiction, and mental illness in my family. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty much put in a role as an adult taking care 
of my mother and uh, the whole house and dealing with a lot of these things. And by the grace of God, I was able to overcome that. And I was I got into a 12-step recovery for um, adult children of alcoholics. And it, that was what was the basis for me having a sense of spirituality and learning how to overcome a lot of things that mm-hmm. challenged me in my life. That and I did that sense. at a very young age. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because I think that's sometimes people say, you know, but how? How could you get through something? How could you overcome this or do that? And I think that that's always important to look in our background and our story. There are things that we've all overcome, and sometimes we don't realize our own strength because we don't look at that and say, you know, we've been through this or that within our childhood or young adult life or whatever. And that does develop certain characters in us that we need to face bigger challenges, if you will. Yeah, that definitely played a role. So you went on to deal with the cancer the second time around and go through treatment and those types of things. And how did you sustain yourself during the second round of treatment and those physical and emotional things that come along with that? Well, as I said, I really really good care of myself and made that my job and there were a lot of uh, resources available to me. There's a place called the Wellness Community that uh, offered there's classes like yoga classes and movement classes and, and I and I found out about oncology massage that was discounts and so I, I just that was my my life, you know, taking care of myself and taking care of my daughter mm-hmm. and, and being with my husband. Did you um, have a lot of support from family and friends as far as being able to help take care of you when you didn't feel good or to just offer that moral support that you might have needed? Yeah, I did get a lot of moral support. As far as physical, I really did pretty well with my treatment. I, I've always done pretty well with my treatment. And I don't know if that's, you know, I know everyone's different, but I don't know if my attitude had anything to do with it. It's just like, well, yeah, I'm going through this, but I'm still going to live my life. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel like I needed much help with the physical, you know, I was able to do everything I normally had done, so mm-hmm. I feel really grateful for that. But I did get a lot of moral support, and uh, I, we started a family blog, so we wouldn't have to repeat, repeat the story over and over again of what mm-hmm. happened. And that's a great idea. People. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, because that's one thing I always hated, was having to repeat that story. I really didn't want to focus on that part of my story, really um, graded on my emotional well-being. And so that's what I did. I was like, well, here, go on my blog. And I just I put all that medical stuff and updates that way. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really didn't want pity and I really didn't want uh, that concerned look. You know, I hated that look. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. People looking at me like, oh, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, that was I felt very vulnerable at that point. And I didn't want that look. <laughs> I understand that. I've seen that look myself. And it's not a, a good feeling when you see it. It's, you don't feel like people are, you know, having compassion. You feel like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not going yeah. anywhere. So right, I understand right. that completely. So you went right. on and went through your treatment. And then um, what made you decide to write the book? Well, I think my, you know, when I first was diagnosed, you get all this wonderful support and and then after a while, people kind of move on, and and then I was starting to, you know, the adrenaline of it was wearing off, and I started getting into this day-to-day thing, and I was missing not working. I was always working my whole life, 
and I felt like my life really didn't have a lot of meaning or purpose. And then I had too much time to think about myself. And, and then I started worrying about if I was going to die. That start, The fear started to come up again. And my husband is also in public relations. And he encouraged me to write a book. You know, we always had talked about that with both writers. He used to be a reporter. And I was like, well, I don't want to write about myself because I'm kind of early in on this process. I don't know if I'd be considered a success story yet. Mm-hmm. But I was always used to writing about other people from my jobs. And I knew, you know, like people like Buzz. And I thought, why don't I find more people like that and uh, share some hope and, not, and also get some hope for myself, which mm-hmm. I really needed. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how the idea came about. And I um, started using my resources to network and find people. I sent out a request through this called Help a Reporter Out, where, mm-hmm. you know, I just said, I need people. I want miracle survivors. Any of you out there are miracle survivors. And I got all these responses. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's, that was the start of it. That's a wonderful resource, by the way. And yeah. I know what we talked about earlier before we started um, your interview is that the book is full of just different stories of different types of cancer, different male and female um, patients, people who have dealt with different circumstances within their diagnosis and all having learned something out of it. So that's one thing that I really enjoyed about the book is that you didn't focus on just breast cancer or just women or just one particular issue that people were dealing with. When you were gathering all these stories, what were your thoughts as far as how did you want all those stories, including your own, to affect the reader? Well, I wanted it to have, for people to know that there's always hope no matter what. I wanted them to be inspired. I, I wanted them to know that they're, you know, just because statistics don't look promising, you can always be that minority of people that make it and that they, and statistics just lump everyone together. Mm-hmm. So I, I think for me, it always, at any time someone would say, you know, well, I know someone has stage four cancer and they've been around, you know, like yourself, you know, for eight years, mm-hmm. it's inspiring. So I wanted other people to feel inspired by that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think too, not just the inspiration in that, because whether someone has cancer or a family member does, There's so many good things in your book about cancer and the different types, like, for instance, lung cancer, lung cancer, testicular cancer, things like that, that a lot of times we don't hear a lot about. So we don't know about the various different types of cancers. We don't realize, I think, Mm -hmm. that people are affected in different ways, you know, different treatments and things like that are available for different particular cancers, and then they too affect people in several different ways. So I really liked that it was broad in a sense of not just focusing again, like I said earlier, on one particular thing. But you go through the book and you have like five keys, purpose, attitude, support, perseverance, and faith that you mention, and you actually have little sections with questions about each of those. Can you highlight uh, those five things and talk a little bit to the listeners about what you're trying to get at with those key points? Well, one of the things, and as you mentioned, I, there are people that read this that um, may not be late-stage cancer or they're friends and family or they're somebody who just want, you know, is like over, trying to overcome any life challenge. And I wanted to find, I, I noticed when I was talking to all the people in the book, they all seem to share common attributes and the ones you mentioned 
that was pretty much uh, what what I was finding. And what I did was I, when I was interviewing people, I was trying to find out which of these common attributes stood out and mm-hmm. put them and organize them in that way. And I do believe all of these were really important. I mean, I'd say the biggest common attribute was this perseverance that never giving up. I mm-hmm. think every every single person that I talked to never did not give up. They mm-hmm. were very much wanting to overcome this and doing and determined to do whatever it takes to overcome it. So I thought that was really important. And support, like you said, is very it was a very important thing um, to, to everyone. You know, I don't see how you can get through something like this without support. And it doesn't have to be family members. It can be friends. I mean, it could be. It could be online support. Mm-hmm. It's just, a, an, I feel like it's a necessity mm-hmm. uh, to have that. And absolutely, that's right. And absolutely, nowadays, if we don't have someone nearby physically, there's so many great online support groups and things like that that people can be a part of, and they can go and blog and share their stories or hear other people's stories. So definitely, I wanted to point out that that is a great resource that people should never feel completely alone. Yes, and actually, like, one of the uh, people in my um, book, Johnny Emmerman, I just saw the Annie Appleseed Conference for Alternative and Complementary Therapies. He um, started his own organization because he saw so many people that didn't have that support, and he matches people one-on-one with, with the same exact diagnosis. Um, all across the country. Mm-hmm. So I I have joined, and I'm a mentor angel. It's called Immerman Angels. And they've matched me with people who have stage four breast cancer with meds to the liver. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so just having somebody that's been exactly through what what you have is really important. So yeah, I'd say support was another one. Yeah, attitude, definitely an important. Just knowing that, it just is a different way of looking at it. Um, looking at it as what, can, you know, you hear a cancer diagnosis and it's, oh my gosh, it's so terrible, but what are the blessings mm-hmm. from the cancer diagnosis and how can you turn that around into a, even, you know, a positive, mm-hmm. which I'd say a lot, almost everyone that I interviewed was able to do that. They see the blessings. Mm-hmm. They see the gifts um, that cancer can, um, can bring rather than just saying, oh, poor me and complaining about it. And not to say they don't have down times, but they, you know, in the big picture, they, they have seen um, how having, having this and can help you in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with that totally. Uh, that is much of how I live my life is really just having that gratitude that I'm alive at all. And so sometimes mm-hmm. it's difficult in the midst of the circumstances of the pain and the struggle and perhaps the fear. But it is important to realize that we really do always have something to be grateful for. And we can see so many blessings, even in the worst of circumstances. It's just not always that easy to do, especially initially. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate life so much more every day that I probably didn't before I had this. And I, and just the people in my life, I just, my relationships, I realize, are the most important thing. That's right. The relationships in my life. And I, every time I look at my daughter and every milestone, it is so amazing Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. seeing her even when she's going through her tween she's a 12 now and she goes through her little hormonal (laughs) challenges Mm -hmm. it's like I I, I'm so grateful to be here it doesn't bother me as much it's like oh I'll take this 
Exactly. It's all part of it. I know the feeling having a 12 year old myself. He's a boy though. So thankfully my older daughters, we were done with that stuff, but still boys have their own challenges. And like you said, it's just a blessing to be able to be here for them and to watch them grow. And that's something that I think sometimes, although parents obviously love their children, we take for granted just the littlest things because we feel like we had unlimited time, unlimited health, things like that. And so I'm really happy mm-hmm. that you've um, taken all these stories and compiled them together to really help people to understand more about cancer and to give them hope and inspiration. And I know you mentioned earlier that you have a blog. Can you tell the listeners um, about your blog and where would they go to find that? Yes, my blog is called Miracle Survivors. And uh, it's at MiracleSurvivors.com. It is something I started before the book as a way to get the stories, share the stories, and get more stories, actually, um, out there. But it's also been a real great way for me to share resources. I've been doing a lot of uh, networking with different organizations and share what's out there for for cancer survivors and their loved ones and things that I've learned at conferences, like the one I just went to, or, um, you know, medical. I'm very much uh, into my whole, uh, you know, having some holistic practices that will improve your health, so I share a lot about that. So I invite people to come and, and uh, visit that. It's It's been great. I've been connecting with people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Romania, I have somebody who's been following me since it started. And you know, I hear a lot of, from people from Australia and the UK. And it's a great community. That's awesome. And I really am just so appreciative that you have that going on because I know having dealt with cancer myself that there's not always a place to go to just talk or to read about different things and to find people that have actually experienced what we have. Can you share with the listeners how they would go about purchasing your book and if they wanted to contact you for more information or to have you come and speak, how would they get a hold of you? The book is available on my blog, blog slash website. It's also on Amazon and I just got it on Kindle so any of those listeners who have a Kindle reader might want to take advantage of that. And it's on barnesandnoble.com. I can be reached. I have a contact form on my website. And also, people can contact me directly. You have um, 10% of your proceeds for book sales going to the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about the Lance Armstrong Foundation and why you chose that foundation to donate proceeds to? Yes, well, we've all heard about Lance Armstrong. And I read his book, and he's just an inspiring survivor of testicular cancer, and I, when in his book he mentions how he didn't really know how bad he had it until the doctor told him after he was done with his treatments that maybe he had like a 2% chance of survival, mm-hmm. and I just found his story very inspiring, and just what he's doing for to raise awareness of cancer, not just here in the United States, but around the world, and CEO of the Lance Armstrong Foundation, Doug Allman, is a three-time young cancer survivor, um, and I connected with him on Twitter, um, and he wrote the foreword of my book mm-hmm. and helped me find a lot of uh, the volu- a lot of their volunteers and just wonderful survivors are in the book, and I just wanted to help this organization. We went there to Austin and were given the grand tour of their headquarters, and uh, so I think they're one of the most high-profile organizations, and I like it because it's not just breast cancer 
uncertain cancer, they help people with all types of cancer. Right. So I thought it was a good match. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. Thank you for sharing that. As some people don't know what the foundation is or who Lance Armstrong is, believe it or not. So we want to be able to share that information with our listeners. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing a part of your story. And I'm just amazed at all you've done with your circumstances and overcoming the challenges that you faced. And I wish you the best in your future endeavors and in all the work you do in encouraging and inspiring others. Well, thank you, Angela, and thanks for what you're doing, too. Thank you.